Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Shut up and sit down. Episode number 50. 50 episodes. Can you believe that? Seems kind of surreal. We've been doing this for just a little bit over a year, and uh, we've just learned so much from both the guests and from the listeners. This podcast right here is a direct result of our interactions with you, the listener, and our followers on Instagram. Um, We put out a poll saying, what was your favorite episodes? And the turkey episode just kept popping up and popping up. And so uh, we reached out to Zach from the hunting public to do an episode specifically on turkey hunting, turkey tactics. And from that, we reached out once again to the listeners. And most of the questions that you'll hear on here are directly from those interactions. So if you're not following along with us on Facebook and Instagram, you might want to do that because we're kind of polling the listeners, trying to get what, uh, get our finger on the pulse of what you want to hear more of from us and what we can do to make a better listening experience for you. So if you haven't already, what else would help us out is if, if you can just a tell a friend, Hey, check out this episode or, or whatever. And then whatever platform you're listening to us on, hit that subscribe button, leave a review, give us a five-star rating because that'll help us reach more people. And again, Facebook, Instagram, all of that. But if you really like the show and you want to help us out directly, directly support us and being able to continue to put out high-quality content, have new gear to review, help with the cost incurred, consider contributing to our Patreon account. Over on the Patreon account, we're going to start putting up some additional info, um, more content, maybe a little bit more Uncle Frank type stuff, and we're going to be doing some giveaways exclusively over there. So check that out. Um, but if not, you know, just tell a friend and thank you guys so much for following along. And uh, let's get on to the show. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, we're back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Adam, John, and Frank here with Zach from the Hunting Public. And we're going to kind of turn the whole talking to Zach thing on its ear right now. And we're going to kind of shift away from the deer hunting and kind of go into the uh, spring turkey season. And uh, maybe that'll be a, a, a welcome 
transition for Zach. I know it's been a, a long season for you guys. Um, so how you doing today, Zach? I'm doing great. How about you guys? How about yourself? We're good. We Do, got, doing what? well. Eight, ten inches of snow here today. and Fresh <laughs> snow. <laughs> yeah. So we're ready to start uh, thinking spring, I think. Yeah, uh, I'm kidding. I I was just looking I was just looking a little bit ago at like how much snow is happening up north and I was like, Man, I'm glad I'm not up there and I feel really bad for everybody that is because I don't want to be part of that. So I guess you know, last year how did you guys did a, a turkey tour. Um what mm-hmm. what was kinda like your motivation for that or how did that all come about? Because that seemed like a, I mean, the deer tour was great, but that was kind of a, looked like a pretty big undertaking for, you know, what some people just think is, oh, just around here. Some people are rabid about turkey hunting, but it's all, you know, mostly deer. And some people are like, oh, turkeys are everywhere. Why would you want to hunt them? They're just run them over with your car. Or, I mean, they're everywhere. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess the, the biggest thing is, we're always talking about situation and, you know, everybody's got different interests and, you know, we're like, um, for example, if, if, uh, like in Iowa or Wisconsin, I know those two states are really good examples. Like people don't get as fired up about Turkey. You know, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, they, they feel that it's pretty straightforward hunting, but you go down South and, you know, people, people live for turkey hunting you know it's just a different um different kind of hunting culture down there and it is kind of that way across the country right and um we just wanted with the turkey tour as well as the deer tour kind of our whole mission i guess in general is just like let's go hit as many different situations in the turkey woods that we possibly can you know while we're doing this, the hunting public thing and let's, let's just learn as much about it as possible and, you know, just show the viewers what we're learning as we go and hopefully they can learn from our mistakes as well. So, because there are, there are a lot of people that are really into turkey hunting and, you know, to be completely honest, all of us are, are exactly that. Like we love turkey hunting easily as much as we like deer hunting. Like there's no doubt about it. So, for us, it was like just another excuse, really, for us to go travel around the country and hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your your background with turkey hunting? When did you you start, and what was? I mean, had you always gone out of state and done done a lot of different turkey hunts, seen different areas, or? Um, no, but so I grew up. I grew up in Western Ohio, and Western Ohio is like very, very, very like bad habitat for turkeys um a lot of a lot of roads a lot of small small woodlots that just like straight up don't hold them like they're just not there um like my whole time growing up my parents lived in like one of the bigger woodlots you know in the in the area i think their house is like right in the corner of it like we'd see deer we'd see you know, whatever you want to see, like any wildlife in the area, you'd see it except for turkeys. And I remember we probably lived there for, oh, 10 years before we ever saw a turkey. And when we did, it was only like once. And occasionally there'll be one that like, 
you know, a, a tom, like, you hear gobble in the spring back there, but, like, not very often. And, like, like a lot of years will go by before another one, you know, even is there. The only place where they are is, like, along the rivers. And there's like, not a lot of good habitat along the rivers in western Ohio either. Just, like, really, really... Um, crop fields that push right up against the river therefore there's not a lot of, of you know good buffer there where the turkeys want to be so as i was growing up i did a lot of traveling to eastern ohio east central specifically and um my grandparents lived over there both well, my parents grew up in east central ohio my whole you know my whole family is from there and i um would travel there on the weekends and that's where I got into hunting in general. And when I was real, real little, um, you know, probably five, six, I started going turkey hunting with my grandpa and I would just like sit with him and my dad. And, you know, I, I did it for a, quite a while before I had success. I think I ended up shooting my first one. Um, now, so, so this was, this is kind of another interesting thing. So that, the place that we, that we hunted was a friend of my grandpa's. <clears throat> I want to say he had, uh, I don't know, let's say 150, 160 acres or whatever that we could hunt. And it was the only place that I had permission, basically, well, it was the only place I had permission that, that had turkeys on it. So like even my grandpa had 160 acres, like a couple you know, miles down the road or whatever. And, and to this day, super strange, that place does not have very many turkeys on it, if any. Like, the <laughs> same kind of thing is around my parents. So this place did have turkeys, and we hunted them, and I eventually shot my first tom when I was 10 years old. And I ended up shooting another one, or a jake, when I was 11 the following year. And then that guy that let us hunt didn't let us go anymore. I can't remember exactly the reason, to be honest, but he didn't let us go anymore. And, um, from that year on, from like the year I was 12 on, like I hunted turkeys on public land. And when I was a teenager, I played baseball, which like was horrible for turkey hunting and I went to school. <laughs> so like I didn't have a lot of time. And when, where I went to high school, there were no turkeys, you know, like there wasn't very many. So I didn't have like an opportunity to go before school, even for like an hour, just because like. I didn't have permission on, on very many places that even had turkeys, like, at all. And, and, if, and if I did, like, so did everybody else. So, like, very limited opportunity as a teenager. But on the weekend, every weekend, I would go and I would hunt in eastern Ohio. And I would hunt public land. And there was a piece that I hunted that, like, at the time I thought it was good because it just had turkeys, right? Like, it, I, like I, I, as a teenager, I didn't realize, like, obviously the things that I, I know now looking back, but like it had birds, but it had like just an absurd amount of hunting pressure. Like, you know, you may have a couple pull-offs and, you know, they may be maybe three quarters of a mile apart. And like, there's three or four trucks in each one of them. And like, that's just what we did. Like, this is how we, how we turkey hunted. And we killed them. Like we did, we did have success doing that and, and time went on and, continue to hunt that in, into college, but when college hit, or when I went and moved to Southern Ohio, that's when 
I started really learning a lot more really fast. And the reason was, is I managed, I managed to schedule my classes in college so that I all four years during Turkey season, I never had a Friday class <laughs> and Monday through Thursday, I didn't have a class. Let's say like, let's say for example, like Monday, I didn't have class start till like noon and Monday and Wednesday and then Tuesday and Thursday, it would start at like 10. Every year I managed to schedule that way or, or maybe drop a few classes here and there to make that work. But, <laughs> but that's, that's what I did. And I really became obsessed because like that was the first time that I ever got to like really put a lot of time into, into learning about Turkey. And I, I hunted huge tracts of public land down in Southern Ohio. I went to OU. So like, I mean, you've got Wayne National Forest, which is like just gigantic. You've got all types of like state forests down there that are within, you know, within an hour. Like I traveled a lot, hit a lot of different pieces of public in Southern Ohio and just like really learned how to hunt big hills and big timber. And like I said, I grew up in Western Ohio, really flat, not a lot of turkeys and hunted in East Central Ohio. It's like pretty rolling, but down in Southern Ohio, it's like, you know, getting to be the foothills of the Appalachians. Like it's, it can be pretty aggressive in some areas down there. And that's where I really feel like I started to learn a lot more about it because I was just thinking about it the other day. It's like ever since I was 18, I pretty much hunted every single day of turkey season. Like, and now the last three, three years, even more because I've had multiple states, you know, starting basically hunting turkeys for two, two full months where, you know, if you're hunting just one state or, or even just a couple of states, like, you know, last for maybe a month. So I think I owe a lot of my, you know, learning kind of that, that I, I, I guess really all of it to just like losing permission really <laughs> like losing permission and just being forced to hunt public land because that was the only place that you know i felt like there was a huntable population of turkeys and i love it like i i wouldn't trade that those experiences for anything like i didn't it, i messed up a lot when i was younger like i you know i wasn't aggressive enough i was you know, sitting in places where, you know, I know now Turkey wouldn't, would never go, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, I guess it's the same thing with all types of hunting, right? You just like learn from experience and learn from a lot of failure. And I think being forced into hunting public land in a pretty challenging area at an early age was like really, really beneficial to me. Well, let's get into some of that like tactical stuff. Um, so one of the questions we got, like we put out on, uh, on Instagram, you know, that we were going to talk to you and, and there's, there's a lot of different questions here that, that people have come up with, but, but one, I think that it doesn't matter who want to know is when you're looking at a piece of ground and especially if you're going out of state or to, to an area where you don't know, I mean, you, you just, you're going to go somewhere for, for Turkey, um, and on public land, what are the terrain, what's the, like the first terrain feature that you're looking for? I mean, obviously you're going to go in there 
and drive around and either look for turkeys or look for tracks or whatever, but how do you pick out <laughs> an area? Um, the biggest thing, I mean, most straightforward answer is habitat diversity. Like, you don't, you don't want just one thing, you know, even if you're dealing with, um, like, uh, big timber, for example, you don't want just, just open hardwood. Like if you're just hunting open hardwood, there's not going to be turkeys there. You know, you need habitat diversity. Turkeys, you know, there's a reason that they're so specific to certain areas. It's because at different times of the year, they need different stuff. And where all of those things are, that's where they're going to be. You know, like, they need water. They're going to need some sort of thick vegetation. And they're going to need, and then, and then they also need the open hardwoods, too. You know, it's just that, like, kind of that mix. So, like, you're looking for transition lines to a certain degree. Like, if you can think of the place that you would want to start looking for a buck bedding area where you're finding, you know, multiple habitat transitions that come together, a lot of different habitat types come together, like, deep away from the hunting pressure, you know, that's a place to at least start. It's a place to start looking at the map and start pinning. So, like, let's say I'm sitting on Onyx and we're about to go to um, West Virginia, for example. I'm just tossing it out there. I've never hunted West Virginia. I've looked at it on a map. First thing I'm going to look for, or, you know, I know, I know, generally speaking, for the most part, a lot of West Virginia is pretty aggressive terrain with a lot of hardwoods, a lot of woods. So, what I would look for there is just like, anywhere where I can see, you know, a clear cut or maybe, um, you know, basically where a clear cut meets up with some hardwood. I look for big, you know, look for secondary ridges. A lot of times, toms, birds, turkeys in general are going to roost off of those secondary points, you know, not on the main ridge necessarily, but off the point of the secondary ridge. Kind of the same thing, you're like, same elevation same spot that you're looking for the buck at, right but like it has to have but if i'm looking for that stuff let's say i see clear cut and i see um, hardwood and then i see pine but there's and i'm like oh this is awesome like it's looking good but then there's no there's no creek bottom in there and birds aren't going to be there but then when you find all those things and you find creek bottom and you find Pick bottom, hardwoods, clear cut, pine stand, you know, clear cut that's 15 years old, you know, down the, you know, all in the same kind of like valley. Now, now we're talking. So that's a start. Let's say you get there and birds aren't got one. I mean, classic, classic deal, right? Like, I, I like to think of like scouting for turkeys, finding turkeys without like having having the luxury of hearing them gobble because in some spots like I mean man I'm telling you like right when we hunt in the south and we start on those openers down south like it's so early those birds are barely gobbling like I've gone I mean even in even in I hunted New York one time and like all the way like the, the season was so early there for that area like it was cold enough that like birds aren't gobbling like I didn't hear birds gobble for multiple days so 
to not having the luxury of hearing them gobble, which is a luxury. <laughs> like, if you hunt turkeys, you heard a turkey gobble every single day that you've ever hunted, like, that's a luxury, because, like, I can tell you from experience, like, that's not everywhere. But you know that bird's in there. Next thing is get in there and scalp, just like you would for deer. You're still looking for hot sign, you're looking for scratching, you're looking for tracks. I mean, those are the big things. You're looking for dropping. Like, if you're finding a bunch of scratching, a bunch of dropping, like, start getting serious about, like, hunting that area and start focusing in on that. So, I guess, to start, main thing, looking for that diversity. Like, it's got to have habitat transitions. And if it doesn't, like, you're probably not going to find many birds with that name. So now you've got your your area, you're going into that, you know, you're in that mode, okay, well, the turkeys are in here. What What is your preferred, um, like, calling sequence or, or calls or, or whatever? And does it change uh, throughout the, the country in, in different areas, in the south versus New York versus Ohio? Mm-hmm. One thing that you guys are doing, and I don't know if you do it everywhere or not, I watched a bunch of your videos. It didn't look like you were doing too much of it in Ohio. Uh, but the videos that I were wa- I was watching, it was raining. Um, is like the the scratching and the winging and and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. like kind of subtle stuff, even outside of like the real aggressive calling. Frank is real, you know. He does a lot. You know, he used to travel around at the shows and, and call for uh, a game call company and and things like that. And he he'll do real hard you know, calling, and then it's just all soft calling from there. It's like once you know that the bird's there, you get them to light up, then kind of ease them in. You know, what what are your strategies for, you know, different areas? Different areas? So, I mean, if I'm in a high, like, I'll just start by saying, like, if I'm in Iowa or Wisconsin, I'm, being, I'm kind of being like a punk, like, in my opinion. Like, I'm just calling, like, just whenever. Like, I'm just going to, like, rip a call just because, like, there's enough turkeys there where I know, like, you know, if, I, if I'm in earshot of a hot one, like, he's going to gobble. Like, but I would not, I, but I do not do that everywhere. Like, those are pretty specific areas. Like, I haven't been to many other places that I would ever, I would do that. I'm not saying I don't do it, but, like, like in Iowa, especially, like, I've, like, you can drive down the road on public land, hop out, hit a call, get one gobble fairly easily. Slam um, the door in the car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you can, and, and I, and I like to run and gun, but what I personally like to do because I don't think that I'm a good caller. Like, if I was like Aaron calls, for example, a lot more frequently than I do, but I think that he's, you know, I mean, I think that he's better than I am. So, and I just don't. I personally have never had any success, like driving around on public, hopping out of the car, striking up a bird. Like, literally never happened to me in Ohio, ever. So you, you need to come and hunt Michigan with us. <laughs> is, it, is it like that? Does it work? Oh, yeah, buddy. Some, <laughs> some places does. You know, works good. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess I just, I, I, I found, I found the most successful being subtle, like you said, and like, not being obnoxious 
Like, I'm not trying to be too loud. I'm not trying to call if unless I feel like it's necessary. I really, really, really like to just let turkeys do their thing and then just, like, get in their zone and then just be like, hey, I'm here, and then that's it. Like, you know, like, I like one-time call to them and then shoot them. And <laughs> I think a lot of that just comes with, like, um, you know, hunting turkeys that aren't gobbling a lot. Like, you know, if you're hunting the bird that's gobbling from, you know, answering your call from 200 yards out, like, it's easy to sit there and call to them. And, and one of the things I learned hunting public land, heavily pressured public land when I was a kid, was that. It's like, yeah, bird's 200 yards away. He may be gobbling his butt off, but, like, he's not coming. He's too far. There's too many obstacles in his way that I don't know about. You know, it may just be a down tree. It may just be simply because he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't feel comfortable going over there because he's been shot at. He's been busted out of that area, you know. High hunting pressure, you know, is going to make birds more skittish, obviously, just like you would with deer. So, to me, I don't want to let them know. <laughs> I don't want to call so much that I mess up because I don't want them to even possibly consider that I'm not real. Like, I want to be in the turkey's bubble and then give them a good, clean, basic call. Just let them know that, hey, I'm here. And a lot of times that does it. Um, I think one mistake that a lot of guys do make when they're turkey hunting is calling to birds that are, like, way too far away. And, and way too far away, maybe 100 yards, maybe 150 yards. But, like, especially in big timber, like, turkeys are so weird, man. Like, they're so finicky. Like, if you're dealing with, like, with big timber, with pretty pretty steep terrain. Like, there may just be some subtle little thing there. And, like, if you're hunting a big track of public land, you know, you, I, you can't walk all of it and know every little thing, you know. So it's like, there may be a down tree in the way that you don't know about, and he's standing on the other side of it not being able to figure out how to get across there. You know, and, like, that's why I want to be so close that, like, I can feel them when they gobble. <laughs> or I can hear them scratching in the leaves, and I can hear one drumming. You know, he may not even be gobbling, but I can hear him scratching. I can hear him drumming. I set up, pop him right, or, you know, pop him right around the secondary ridge or whatever it may be. But point is, I want to be close, and I want to know that that bird hears me. It sounds good. It sounds clean. It sounds realistic. You know, like the scratch, like you said, I love scratching in the leaves. I love just giving them a off yelp, scratching the leaves, and just, you know, let them get all fired up. I'm not an aggressive caller, let's put it that way. I mean, I'll eventually get kind of excited if one's close and not coming in, but, like, for the most part, I want to be pretty subtle. So, you're talking about calling to birds that are too far away. Um, so, you're in the situation, like, let's say you're walking down a logging road or whatever in an area, you're you're trying to get in there whether in we'll say midday so not not like the birds are going to be roosted right there so we'll get into uh, got some mm -hmm. questions about that in a minute but so let's say it's nine ten o'clock and you're you're walking and you hear a bird that gobbles you know two three hundred yards away how are you reacting to that um first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to unless i know the area like the back of my hand which 
you know, honestly, I cover so much ground in turkey season that it's hard to always know exactly the spots that I'm in. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up my map if I don't already know the area, like the back of my hand, and I'm going to say, okay, where is this turkey at? Where is this bird in relation to, like, where I am? And a lot of times you can you can make a pretty good judgment, right? So let's say he is 300 yards. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to feel like I'm going to pinpoint him on my map, and then I'm going to, like, try to cut that distance, like, maybe a quarter of the way down. And I'm going to do that quick. Like, if I think that bird, if I legitimately think he's 300 yards away, I'm going to get to 250 fast. You know, I'm going to get to 200 pretty fast. And a lot of times, too, one of my favorite things to do is just listen for the crows. Like, when the crows start going over them and they're gobbling, like, I don't want, basically what I'm saying, I guess, too, and, and what I think will help answer the question is that, I'm not aggressive in the fact of, like, I don't want them to know that I'm coming for them. Because if I start calling to just locate a bird at 300 yards, like, then he's going to think that I'm coming to him anyway. Right. But he's not going to come to me. Right. But if he's gobbling on his own, he's gobbling. I've shot so many turkeys by just, like, listening to crows. It's like, crows go off, boom, he gobbles. Five minutes, I make some moves. Five, ten minutes later, he gobbles again with some crows. I may stand there for five, ten minutes just waiting to gobble. Now I know this bird's alone, right? But if I start calling at 300 yards and just keep moving closer to him, he thinks I'm coming to him. He's not going to come from 300 yards to you. It's not going to happen. That's not the way it works. I just keep moving in on him, moving in on him, moving in on him. And then as soon as I know that I'm in that striking distance, I look at the terrain and I know, like, I get a feel for, like, what, where he is and what he can see. And I just push in there. I mean, if I got to crawl, crawl. I want to be, I mean, I, I would say I rarely set up on turkeys that are 100 yards away or further. Like, I truly feel like I make a good setup on, like, a, a bird that's gobbling that I think is alone. Like, I, I want to be right in his bubble because most of the time, that's, that's what it's going to take to shoot a, a pressured public land turkey. I mean... At least in my experience, I think some people would, would disagree, but at least in my experience, for the most part, you've got to be darn close. Now, you mentioned the crows. Do you carry a crow call with? Because we used to, that's how we used to, that was one, yeah, that was one of our locating tools. So we weren't calling blind. We were just, we'd blow a crow call and trying to get them to a shot cobble. You... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, honestly, I, I don't, I don't, I, um, I, I shouldn't say I don't, I mean, I, I will occasionally, but I don't, I don't really use it. I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily know that this is like a right or wrong answer, but like, I was turned off by locator calls, um, at a young age because I was hunting public land with her, you know, here's a perfect example. Pull up to the parking lot and here's, you know, several other trucks and, starts getting daylight and and you hear one guy up on the ridge you know which is Al Hooter and you hear another guy up on the ridge and you know there's birds around and they aren't gobbling to that Al Hooter mostly because it doesn't sound that good you know it becomes pretty evident I think to the turkeys that like hey you know that's not that's not an owl you know like that's danger and therefore I think 
you know, I just, I just got a hold of these past season and, or, uh, and I'll call that like, I think sounds good enough to like use and I'll use that. Um, but, um, it's, it's the, the, we're, we're, I, I love the Woodhaven calls. Like I'm not a good caller and like they're by far the best calls I've ever used and they sound real. So I think that goes a long way. But like every crow call I had, you know, growing up, like just didn't sound clean enough. So, and I just like to be patient, right? I just like to like kind of let it, let it play out naturally. Like the ideal, like here's just a quick story of like the ideal hunt to move in my eyes. So I, Southern Ohio, big timber, um, I had been scouting the area, you know, a couple weeks before season. And I had been hearing this bird occasionally on this one specific saddle. And that morning it was raining. And I was self-filming at the time. I'm in college, this is, you know, long before THP and, and, uh, even, or, you know, even Spring Thunder, like I'm just down, just down at school. An opening day and, I knew that that bird would be somewhere around that that saddle where I'd been hearing him gobble occasionally some morning. So let the rain kind of pass in the morning. Got out there right about the time like they would kind of be coming down off the roost, and I'm standing on my high point and I I don't hear him. Thought I might have faintly heard something over that saddle, but I was like, well, I'll just ease my way up there and and. Uh, See what happens. So I went up there. I sat. I sat down on that saddle, and I just sat there and I was patient. Maybe let out a few calls, but nothing crazy. Like wasn't really expecting much. Was just basically in a position where I knew that bird was somewhere, probably pretty close. So I'm sitting there, and I don't know. Let's say nine o'clock roll, or maybe not even that late. Maybe maybe just an hour goes by. So. I don't know, it's still pretty early at that time frame. I don't know what time it was, but an hour goes by, I sat there. Sure enough, Crow flies over the main valley. Boom, he gobbles, and he's way he's way out on the secondary point. I'm on the main ridge, on the main, you know, big saddle, from main valley to main valley, set up on the main ridge. He's on a secondary ridge off that. He gobbles that Crow. I immediately pick my stuff up, and I get ready to, like, walk. Crow goes off again. I go start. I realize now which ridge he's on. So I start taking off that secondary ridge. And this is a long secondary ridge. Like went from cut now, maybe maybe 150, 200 yards out before it started to drop, and then drop down to a bench, and then from that bench it dropped down again to the main main creek bottom. So I I'm standing up on top of the secondary now, and I'm facing where I think this bird is, and I wrote. And I just stand there, and every time a crow flies over, the bird gobbles, and I move. And I just keep moving. Now, I, I could have hit a crow. Maybe if my crow sounded good enough, maybe if he was firing up enough, yeah, maybe he'd have gobbled. But in a lot of my experiences, locator calls, unless they're perfect, especially in, like, you know, this stuff was pretty pressured. This public land's pretty pressured. Like, a lot of guys out there, if he's heard that, and he's going to shy away from it. He's not going to gobble to it. So... Keep easing out that ridge, easing out that ridge, easing out that ridge, and I get to where I can see that bench below. 
I'm like, okay, this is the critical one now. Like, this is the final gobble that I got to hear before I make this move. Standing there, he gobbles, and I can tell that he's right below that bench. So basically, I'm standing on the top of the secondary on kind of like the first half of the ridge where the ridge just plays out into the bench, and I can see the bench, and I can tell he's just below that bench. So I creep down the ridge right at him. I get right to where, you know, I'm like 50 yards from the, you know, kind of where it drops off, the bench drops off. So I'm on the center of the bench facing where I last heard this bird gobble. I set up a decoy, sit down, and this, and I hear, well, hindsight, I know what's happening, but I hear bird gobble, and he's going up the other valley. Kind of a gun. Like, I wasted all that time, like, you know, on this bird, and now I've got to, like, make some crazy move. I mean, he's moving. Like, he's moving off fast. That sucks. But, I'm, but I just kind of sit there, and I'm, like, kind of thinking about what I'm going to do next. This is, this is pre, this is pre-smartphone days. So, like, I'm, I'm just kind of brainstorming in my head. Like, you know, I'm not looking at a map at this point. I'm just thinking, okay, where are these, where, where should I head to next to just, like, get a start, you know? I'm just kind of sitting there, kind of kind of daydreaming. And I I make a call, and uh, I mean I've given up, like I said, but I'm but I'm still set up. I make a call. About two minutes goes by, and sure enough, that bird gobbles, and he's in the exact spot that I thought he was. So that other the the turkey I heard moving away was a totally different turkey. <laughs> like he gobbles, and he's right there. Like he's right where I thought he was. You know, inside of eighty yards. So he gobbles and, but he had, he had waited a second. Like, you know, he had waited a couple of minutes before he responded. Like, it wasn't like I called and he gobbled. But, but it was the first time I called. Like, he responded to it, you know, a couple of minutes later. So immediately after he gobbled, I just went, you know, kind of got like high pitched, like, on him and just like, hey, 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 I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And he gobbled right through that. I did it again. He gobbled again and then just kept gobbling and walking right to me and walked right to 10 yards and I shot him. And to me, that was the perfect, like, the picture-perfect turkey hunt. Like, that's what I want to happen every single time. It's like, I, I just keep easing in on him just to, nat- you know, natural things, making him gobble. And then I get in his world without him even knowing and trick him into thinking, hey, there's a hen right up there. Like, you know, I've been standing in this one spot for the last hour for 40 minutes or 20 minutes. And like, oh, there's one right there. I'm just going to, all I got to do is walk 15, 20 yards. I'm going to be able to see that spot. And especially if you got a decoy. I mean, like, game over. Like, in my opinion, if you can just slip in there without making a single peep, like, before you're ready, like, that's the ideal situation. And it rarely happens like that. But, you know, like that's the perfect, perfect situation to me. And, and the reason being is I think that will stay consistent no matter how much hunting pressure there is. Even if there's no hunting pressure or there's a lot of hunting pressure, like that's going to work. If you're inside a turkey's bubble and and you call to him and you sound realistic and you're close, he's coming. So what you mentioned your decoys do you have a specific uh, setup that you use, like uh, hen, Jake, or you know, and what? Yeah. What? Uh, what? 
do you use a certain brand? Yeah, I honestly, I'd, <laughs> I, I would, I would be totally cool just carrying a Jake decoy the rest of my life, like that's, or just a hen, you know. Um, either just, I either carry just a simple hen, or I carry a Jake, or nothing, right? Like sometimes it's fun to hunt without decoys too, and I'll probably do more and more of that as time goes on, um, but. Like if I want to shoot as many turkeys as I as I can, I'm going to use a JP coil. Like I think that I've never really seen anything work so well as that Avian X. I think it's the Avian X. Like like maybe like half or quarter strut, whatever it is. Like this is kind of that like very timid looking Jake decoy. And like Tom's hate that thing. Like I shot so many turkeys off that decoy. It's insane. So like that that's my favorite one. Or just like a really good realistic looking hen where like if you're hunting a more of a subordinate bird like you can tell like he he's not he's afraid of other turkeys you know or he's afraid of even turkey but not to dive off on a totally crazy tangent but like there's a bird out there that like is afraid of other turkey noises regardless if it sounds good or not he's a, because he's afraid of other turkeys you know, he's generally either a really old bird or a pretty young small bird that has got his butt kicked enough that, like, he hears another turkey and he's going to, like, move away. He'll gobble. He's a bird that gobbles the most, too. He'll gobble a whole bunch, but, like, he won't he won't ever commit um, because he's afraid of, you know, getting in a fight. So what he'll do is he'll gobble, 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 and then if you get into his bubble, he'll move off. And then he'll keep gobbling. What he's looking for, in my opinion, is he's just looking for that hen to go to him. Right. And and I've killed a lot of those turkeys, too, um, by generally just, like, not calling. You know, basically crawling into their strut zone and shooting them when he comes back. You know, like, maybe he's walking out to a 50, you know, maybe he's walking 50 yards one way, walking back 50 yards. <laughs> Like killed him like just straight up crawling into that one side of that yard line that he's walking. And and a lot of times what it ends up being is like an old bird or small and beat up. And I think you with that turkey, if you're gonna go with a decoy setup, you wanna use a hand. If you're gonna use anything, you wanna just a hand because if he sees a nail turkey, he's gonna shy away. I've seen I've hunted I've hunted where I was hunting in Iowa one time with my friend John, and um, we looked up on the ridge, and there comes a turkey, the Tom. He's coming right out, and, he, and he's running. We're like, oh, man, this is, <laughs> is going to work. And then all of a sudden, behind him, comes two more Toms that are just straight, like, barreling down on him, running at him. And he just continues to keep running. They eventually stop and just start strutting and gobbling. And he just keeps coming right towards us. It gets, like, 50 yards from us, these are decoys, and just straight up, like, runs, runs, runs down just out of, like, sight, and just starts gobbling his butt off, and gobbled and gobbled, gobbled the rest of the morning. But, like, that bird, you know, like, he's gobbling the most, but he just got straight up run away from, you know, run out by two other toms. And you'll find that, in my opinion, you find that way more frequently in high turkey densities, like, like Iowa, like, I've never 
really quite hunted a state with so many turkeys until I started hunting Iowa that there's so many toms that, you know, the bird, you have a lot of those subordinate birds, like a ton of subordinate birds that are going to gobble a bunch and be really tempting to go after and hunt, but like are never going to come into your call because they are actually avoiding other turkeys. At least that's, that's what I feel is happening. They're because, little, they're yeah, little not, shit talkers. <laughs> What's that? They're the little shit talkers that talk a bunch of shit and then oh, run yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they are. I mean, they, and, and, the, and I think the thing, the thing is, is like, you know, it's easy to get caught up on those birds, you know, and like get super, you know, like get super frustrated and you're like, you know, I want to shoot that turkey, but like, Sometimes, sometimes he is just not going to come in. And it's just, it's just that, you know, weirdly enough, it's the way it is. And I, I don't feel like I experienced that a ton in Ohio growing up, but it definitely still happens, you know. You're still eventually going to run into these, like if you got a bunch of toms in an area, you're going to run into the one gobbling a bunch, and he just doesn't, you know, you're going to stay on his one little spot, and then if you get too close to it, Sound him like turkeys. He's going to move to his other little spot, you know, a couple hundred yards away, but just keep doing what he's doing. It's not that he's... Now, I think there is such thing as call shy, but, like... Um, but I also don't... But I think that call shy can sometimes be confused with that type of turkey, if that makes sense. Right. He's call shy to a certain degree, but he's just turkey shy. You right. know? Like, he's just afraid of well, we get we get a lot of birds up here because I guess because there is so many that uh, we have uh, they 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 don't talk at all. You know, I mean you mm-hmm. you know the birds are in the area. We go in there and we'll what we'll do is we'll just set up quiet. You know, and and I'll tell mm-hmm. the guys, you know, look, we're going to give it a couple hours, maybe you know, mm-hmm. and just and I think the more patient you are, you know. The more you you your stats will go up, you know, because mm-hmm. our birds, like I say, sometimes you you can call for you know just just some soft calls or whatever you know, and then quit and then start again. Never hear a turkey gobble, but you'll have them come in, you know. Yeah, just yeah. About, just about the time yeah. you're, you're like, oh, let's pack up. Yeah, let's pack this shit up and go, and then it's <laughs> like you know you hear them alarm button, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, he's right like there. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean that's definitely a definitely a thing that that's tough too is the 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 bird that doesn't gobble. I mean, I a perfect example of that is is um and this kind of this kind of is another like you know I guess like a a, a, a it kind of plays into a lot of the things that we've already covered. So Jake and I were in Mississippi this past season. And I'd hunted Mississippi. He'd never hunted Mississippi, but but he had just hunted in, in Alabama with us. But he was the one with the tag. So, like, he, like, sat down on the map and strategized. Like, okay, like, this is really, like, a long way from the car. Like, there's not a lot of hunter access here unless people have been coming from private land. But, like, there's not even a lot of options for that because there's not any roads really close. Like, this place is deep. So, and there's just, like, you could tell that there was like different pine patches and a clear, a couple clear cuts kind of that all came together close to this like one high point on a ridge. And we're like, 
told you, is we'll just scout our way back there and, you know, at least have a game plan for how we can work with it in the morning. Like, how deep do we want to go? Whatever. So we um, go in, and we're walking up. We finally get, I mean, back in there. Like, we really didn't find much time. We didn't find any tracks, nothing. But started getting back in there pretty deep. We're like, yeah. Yeah, this feels good. Honestly, we're kind of tired of walking. Like, let's just sit here and make a call. We're on a high point. It's the middle of the day. If a hen, if a hen ends up like losing Tom or wanting, you know, wanting to find a Tom, this is the place she's going to go to call. You know, to call out. You know, this is a real situation that could happen in the woods. Like, she's going to get to a high point and and yelp just like a Tom would get to a high point and gobble if he wants to find him. So, anyhow, we get up there and. We get set up and, you know, feel like we got a pretty good set up and hit the call. I hit the call one time and like maybe a minute or two went by and nothing gobbled. So we're sitting there and all of a sudden it's like, Hey dude, what is that? It's like moving through the woods, something and like coming towards us fast. And it's like, what is that? It's like, yeah, and a squirrel. It's like, sure enough. Yes, so like right behind us, and, and Jake turns. He's like, "It's Turkey, it's the Tom. He's right on top of us." And like, I mean, I had the camera facing exactly the wrong way, and Jake was, I was between Jake and the Tom, so like we were just totally screwed on that one. <laughs> but just another example, I guess, too, of a couple different things, like you know, being being, or you know, picking a spot on the map. He thought had multiple habitat types and then coming together and then just being in a place where you think that turkeys are going to be, you know, if you're, and you just want to be in that area, generally speaking. And, you know, I guess another point with that story that I haven't, I haven't touched on yet is like just being where a hen's going to be to call out to, to Tom. Like what's, how can you actually make a realistic situation or scenario, right? You don't want to just like, like, a hen, for example, she she maybe have her nest down in a creek bottom where it's a little bit thicker. There's more, you know, protein vegetation for vegetation where she can get protein for, you know, the eggs and stuff. But, like, when she wants to find a tom, she's not going to be calling from down that bottom. She's going to get up on a high point where she can call out and, you know, from, you know, multiple spots below her, a tom can hear that and, and call back to her. Does that make sense? Like. Yeah, you want to make that scenario sound realistic. Absolutely, and I think that's something that's overlooked. So, with that, um, and this is going to probably go, you know, kind of a little bit back to the decoying, but kind of like a hundred percent one eighty from the the being patient, being quiet. Um, with your aggressive style that we've seen with uh, ghillie suits and moving in on. On, on bedded deer and, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are, what are your thoughts or have you guys done or been anywhere where you could do some reaping? I mean, we're, uh, bow hunting podcast and we're, you know, we're trying to kill them with a, with a bow. So it's, it would be difficult mm-hmm. with, without a decoy strap to your bow, uh, illegal here in Michigan. Um, you can't, have any sort of moving decoy um whatsoever um but mm-hmm. but have you put some thought into that i mean like say given your aggressive style with the ghillie suits on these 
whitetails, that seems like right up your alley. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the biggest thing, the reason I've never died is just simply because of hunting public land. Like, that, that <laughs> sense of, like, you know, that sense of fear a little bit of, like, I just don't want to get my ass shot. He but, doesn't, right, he doesn't wear a bulletproof vest. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's the biggest reason I've never done it. But at the same time, like, I will say, I will say, like, I say, I'm saying I'm a, I'm a patient hunter as far as turkeys go, but like, but, but that doesn't mean that I'm not aggressive. Like I'm patiently aggressive. Like when, like, for example, I can be, I can be, um, you know, I can be creeping through the woods, barely making a noise, like barely moving, you know, just slowly going through where I think a bird's going to like hearing one 300 yards away and be like running. And then next thing you know, I'm crawling to get within, you know, like, crawling for another 40 yards through a creek bottom to get to where I can pop up and be right in his little bubble. You know what I mean? So, like, I feel like I actually, oh, interesting thing, all the ghillie suit stuff and, the, like, the ground hunting, like, a lot of that was inspired by my turkey hunting. Right. Like, that's... The way that I like to eventually, like, just be, like, get in there any way I can to get in on, like, you know, and I'm thinking a lot, you know, I'm using a lot of examples of, like, bigger timber type turkey hunting, like, you know, how do I just get, I mean, I can't stress that enough, like, I can't stress getting close enough, and, like, I'll do anything it takes if it means I gotta crawl through the water. I mean, Jake and I, <laughs> Jake and I were in Mississippi hunting that same area, as that story I just told the bird coming behind us. We're crawling through a creek bottom, passing cotton mouth sitting right beside us because we needed to get you know we had to go on the left that was my next question (laughs) about the snakes (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah they're just you just gotta be uh you just gotta be on your toes keep an eye out i'm sure (laughs) i i guess here's my thing about here's my take on snakes and turkey hunting um we're friends with or you know we did know dave owens he's the um he does like the pin project and he won he, he won the turkey calling at the uh he won the championship at the uh all the oh man turkey hunters are going to be bash me for this what's it called the um national wild turkey federation yeah yeah the the show the big the big grand national championship grand I think is what, yeah dave won that last year and he's killed, he's literally killed turkeys in every single state. He's about to do it for the second time and he doesn't wear snake boots. So that's enough for me to be like, no, <laughs> I guess I don't need to wear snake boots either. I just really try to make sure I'm paying attention to where I'm stepping. Well, I was going to mention, I mean, if you're, if you're moving in on turkeys and getting in within, you know, even within a hundred yards of them, that's aggressive because turkeys uh-huh. got, some of the best eyesight i mean i know we've been busted you know moving just a little bit and a bird sees you at 100 yards and they're gone you know i mean so mm-hmm. if you're if you're getting in within that zone you're definitely being aggressive compared to the guys that are calling aggressive you're hunting aggressive mm-hmm. but being you know a little bit lighter on the calling so uh 
that leads to kind of a next question. Um, like on the roost, do you like, do you ever put the birds to bed and then try to get in close to the roost? Oh yeah. Yeah. If I get, I mean, if I hear a bird and like, <laughs> I want, well, let's put this way in college. I only ever heard a handful of birds, you know, right. not less than a handful of birds gobble on the roost at night. And the ones that did, I killed them. Like, like, well, don't let me know where you're at. <laughs> you know, because then I can, I mean, because I'll, I'll go in there an hour before daylight and be right underneath it. You know what I mean? So, like, I think, I think having a bird roosted and, like, really pinpointing the location. Like, if you're setting up more than 100 yards of one that you know exactly where it is, it's foolish. I mean, unless, unless like, you, like, you just straight up, like, like the like like the act of like um you know like feeling like you're really calm like 100 percent like calling them but even then like to get a turkey in into 20 yards like you have to be in the direction that he wants to go right but you know so like i guess even if you are getting staying 100 yards from him like you still have to be in that right direction of like where he's going from that roost. And, and I guess I, um, you know, I just, I just always, always would recommend if you got one and roosted, like if you're setting up, you know, you should be 50 yards from him in my opinion, if you know right where he is. And, and I'm, I would hold true to that. I don't know that that's ever going to change. Like if, if one roosted down, like that's, that's the ideal. <laughs> That's the, almost feels like the gimme. I'm not saying it works every time, but um, just because I have been around more birds that I know where they're roosted since I started hunting areas, you know, some areas that have more birds. But, like, um, for the most part, like, if I heard turkeys gobbling in in uh, southern Ohio in the evening, like, there's a really good chance you're going to get them. Be- so. Is that because there there isn't? the density of birds or you know because our, what um, happen, what happens here is is if we if we roost them chances are there's there's quite a few hens there too and as soon as the hens <laughs> fly down in the morning you know they hear you call once you know and man they're, they're pulling yep. that gobbler away so that's yeah. where that's yep. where you're saying zach that's why you want to be within that's 50 why you yards get right in there then huh mm-hmm. yeah and 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 I think the difference the difference is and so like Southern Ohio for example is there wasn't like if a bird's gobbling in the evening it's because he's alone he's looking and he's looking he wants yeah. somebody to come roost with him yeah and I think you know in a and and I would agree you know if you're in a higher bird density you know and you have you got a, a palm that roosts with a bunch of hens and Unless you're right where those hens want to go, you know, you're having... Now, here, here's, another, here's an example, okay? So, of, of the kind of roost and the bird. But kind of. This is just a little bit different. It's kind of a... This is a kind of a fun story, and I think can... can um, I don't know. Maybe just give, give somebody confidence in a time of, like, losing confidence because I definitely lost confidence and we ended up shooting the turkey. So... My dad had an Iowa first season tag. So this past season, I don't know what the date was. It was the middle of April. And 
it was snowing. Like, it was brutal. And, like, I've never dealt with that. Like, I've never had a turkeys in the snow. I know I know. maybe you guys have being in Michigan. You need, and, you need to come um, up with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know that I want maybe, – maybe I'll come home with you guys, but I'm coming later. <laughs> But, uh, we were like, oh, I was going to, you know, I was going to suck, you know, we're just kind of moping about the weather, whatever. And we end up driving around, cruising around some public, you know, some of the public land that we hunt there around Coleman Island. Ended up spotting the Tom, a Jake, and I'll say three or four hens. I can't remember exactly, but I'm say three or four hens. And, um, I was like, I got them. I know where they're going. Like, I didn't know. Like, I just saw him going towards that timber. I didn't know, like, um, you know, I didn't see him go up. And, like, it was super windy. And we had a lot of other ground that we were trying to cover that evening. But I was like, I know where they're going to be. And sure enough, the next morning, we got in there. And and the reason I knew that where they're going was because I'd been through that piece a lot. Like, I scouted a lot. I shot a buck in that same piece. Like, I know it pretty well scouted it a lot in the in the winter. Like I know know where the turkey habitat is in that specific spot. So when I saw them going in there I had a pretty good idea of almost darn near the right tree that they were gonna be in. And that's again, that's just simply because of scouting that area. Mm-hmm. So we went in that next morning and conditions were rough man like i never you know again never really dealt with something quite like this it was so crunchy and icy that like i was not having a good time walking in there like i was super stressed about it and like as time went on like we were just taking too long and then i started this is where the mistake almost cost us but i started getting impatient on a creek crossing i crossed the creek and i got hung up in multiple multi-floral rose bush oh, and just yeah. like kind of kind of like ripped off of it and right when that happened right above us one of the hens busted i'm like shit like that ruined the whole hunt like if i'd have just been patient if i'd have just you know it's my fault you know I, I thought it was my fault but it had been ruined so but she, when she flew she never putt she just pitched out of the tree and flew away and like it was pretty windy and my dad just goes hey he's like it's just one I'm like i guess but like we just totally you know surely that tom like will realize that that hen's not there and, and, and surely he's somewhere in here but it's you know still you know almost like it's not shooting light yet so he's like let's just sit down so we sit down and i'm like you know, it's never going to work. I'm moping. I'm pounding. I'm, I'm thinking about the next move. <laughs> and sure enough, starts getting daylight. I'm like, hey, there's still those other hens are right here above us. You know, maybe 30 yards past us. And well, here we are sitting right underneath them. They're asleep. They don't, know what, they, they don't even have a care in the world. Sure enough, boom, he gobbles. And look up, he's like 60 yards from us in the tree. Those birds, you now it's cold. It was super cold, and like I said, it's pretty windy. The birds sat in that tree till like, oh man, a good hour after legal, at least, at least a good hour after legal. So I just sat there and I didn't call at all. Like, none of those turkeys obviously know, like, 
you know, like they got, like they're, they're up in the tree. They got the elevation on us and like, it's cold, like snowy, like we don't have a ton of good cover. And, um, I just sat there and didn't call and sure enough, that bird eventually flies down when the hens flew down, eventually he pitched straight down. And it was so thick in there with, with uh, honeysuckle, like, I mean, we couldn't see him at all. So as soon as he hit the ground, though, I started calling. He'd gobble. But I just, like, I would call. I called one or two times, and I just shut up. And eventually, like, he kind of stopped, got, or, you know, he didn't gobble. Some time went on, and uh, then he gobbled on his own again. And when he gobbled on his own again, I just immediately went into, like, a fast-paced, like, excited yell. It was like, hey, hey, I'm over here. Like, it's kind of the same thing I was telling you that story of when I was moving on him on the one that was sounding off to the crows. Mm-hmm. That's a, kind of the one calling technique I do use to get aggressive. Is like, you've heard that hen in the woods, like, it's almost like she's panicking, like, hey, 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 I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And, like, you know, I kind of do that. And when I did that, he would just like, I can tell, like, I can tell he's coming towards us now. And eventually, eventually the bird comes into like inside of 20 yards and it's strutting back and forth. You know, we don't have a decoy or anything. Like he's strutting back and forth. He can't see anything. And my dad just, it just happens to be in the spot where like he's got like pretty much zero shot. And for me, filming, it's like, I've got him playing his day, but like just, just literally on the other side, you know, shoulder to shoulder my dad has no shot at him and finally i'm like can you make something work because like i'm like i can't keep him here much longer you know like i'm calling to him just like i eventually get to the point where like i have to like i'm calling to him even that close because like i'm afraid he keeps turning like he's gonna leave and i'd call and he'd turn back around but he wouldn't but he you know he's like he got to his limit right he's like i know i'm close enough now that you gotta come to me like i'm gobbling i'm i'm you know, spitting and drumming, like, you hear me, like, I'm not messing around anymore, and finally, I was like, Dad, can you make something work, and he, he ended up just, like, making a perfect shot on the turkey, you know, shotgun, but, like, just, like, just found just a little opening and got it, so, point, point with that there is, is, like, you know, I think what ended up happening is, is the bird, the bird pissed off, and she's made, like, no noise. You know, I don't think this happens often. You know, I think a lot of times you spook a bird and it flaps a bunch and it's getting hung up and stuff, especially when you bust them that early. But the way she flew out of there, you know, she either didn't putt or didn't putt much. She just pitched right on out of there, flew, flew right away. And I think what happened was is when he hit the ground and they hit all those birds hit the ground and she wasn't there, like that became an issue for him at some point. You know, it took him a little bit, but like eventually he's like, She's somewhere over here, and like I, you know, I, me calling became that, became that hen that busted off the roof. And so is that that's something that you've noticed with, um, overcast, rainy. I mean, in this case, snow. Um, are these mm-hmm. birds staying up in the tree much longer? And then when you're moving yeah. in, you know, you guys are filming, obviously. When you're moving in, it's hard to tell from the videos because of either the camera light or whatever. Are you just moving in in gray light, or are you guys using, like, a green headlamp or, or something when you're getting that close? I'm um, just moving in in the dark and just feeling it out. I mean, a lot of times you got moonlight or 
um, you know, and pretty much no lies. I mean, that's the that's the one difference of deer and turkey is like as you're moving in, you know, like let's say, let's say, um, let's say, like let's say we got an idea. Like here's another. I, it's easy to use examples. I hope I'm not boring you guys with these stories. <laughs> no. no, that's perfect. Yeah. The example I can think of is, is in Ohio this past season. Me and my friend Keith um, got one right off the roost. And w- what happened was, is the morning before, I was I was in there with with his brother Ben, and we got right up on a bird right off the roost. They accidentally they accidentally set up too close to him, and I think that he knew that something wasn't right. And we accidentally ended up right underneath of him. Like Ben had roosted the birds the night before, or like knew that they were in that area. He didn't know exactly where they were pinpointed at. Like, right, let me take that back. The bird gobbled it. Let me take this take this one step back. Okay, so the first day scouting, we were just scouting. This was the day before season, and we went into this area, and I heard one just randomly, like middle of the afternoon, heard him gobble down this bottom, and I just heard him like. Two times, middle of the afternoon prior to season. But I can, and I can tell he's like down in a specific valley, but I don't know exactly where he is. So I was like, Ben, like I got some other places, like I want to go check out. And like I think, you know, myself, Ben, and Keith, we all need to spread out. So the three of us eventually, you know, went to different places. But Ben kind of hung with those turkeys and just was in that same general area from like you know, three in the afternoon till dark that night. Like he just, you know, kept creeping around to where, um, you know, just being in that same general area to where he knew he wasn't going to bust him, but like could hear a lot from a high point. So sure enough, the whole afternoon and evening goes by and that bird never gobbled again, but he heard them fly up down that same bottom. So he knew roughly where they were. And, and because I heard that gobble, we knew there was a tom in there. So we felt like that was the best bet for opening day. So that morning in the dark, Ben and I crept through this clear cut. It was brutal, super loud. And, uh, I mean, we managed to do it quiet enough that we set up right underneath the turkey in the dark. But, like, I think he knew just enough was wrong based off of how he was acting in the tree that, like, he wasn't, he wasn't going to pitch down right the side. You know, he pitched out to like 60 yards and then just went right the other way. Now, granted, the other way was also where the bulk of the other turkeys were, but point is, is he went away. The rest of the morning, Ben and I kind of chased this turkey and made a really good kind of scout of that whole, that whole valley where all of our, you know, all the things that we've heard or seen had stemmed from. And felt like we, you know, felt like we had a really good place to start. Basically, right across the valley from where he was roosted, there was a ton of sign, like just a ton of sign. They're spending a bunch of time there, and I figured most days that's where he was pitching to, um, or or spending some amount of time there in the morning. So, day two of season, um, pouring rain, just like horrible, um, and the bird, um. I knew that bird was going to be somewhere around there. And I, based off of the way he was, you know, he was roosted, he's roosted by himself early season. Um, I figured he was a two year old bird. You know, I just kind of, a, he gobbled a lot. 
I figured he was a two-year-old bird that was like, well, it's at least a board mix. And, um, but he would shut up, like, he would shut up too enough that, like, I, I knew that he was getting with hens at least part of the, part of the morning. So we went in to that, to that, we are headed in that morning and it's dark. Like, it's raining. It's pretty, like, it's dark. And Keith and I, Ben's brother, we switched. Ben had to go to work and Keith didn't have class. So Keith went with me and we're going in in the dark and creeping in. It's raining. And it was pouring. And then it kind of broke right when this all kind of went down, you know, when the first part of the story kind of went down. So, like, we're creeping through in the dark and we're out on that point where I think, close to where I think he's been, you know, general area where he's roosted. And um, <laughs> I'm walking in. And I look up in the trees, and I'm standing there in the, in the dark, and, like, whatever it was, like, whether it was moonlight or, like, you know, I don't know, lights just from, like, houses or something, like, there was just enough light in the sky that I could see this, like, blob up in the tree. And, I mean, this blob is, like, right there. It's like, you know, like, not very far at all. Like, inside of, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's inside of 40 yards. And um, I'm looking at him, like, could that be a turkey? And I glance it, and I'm like, it looks like a turkey sitting up in that tree, but, like, I can't, you know, I can't tell. And um, we were like, you know what, it's not worth the risk. Like, I know that spot that I was going to get to is, like, just one level down, like, just on the bench right below where we're at. It's not very far. Basically, if this is a turkey, he's directly above, he's on you know, the tree that he's in, the, 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 the base of the tree is on that bench. Like, he's pitched off where we are to that tree that he's in. So, I'm like, even if it's not him, like, we're close to where I wanted to be anyway. This is, like, this is a safe bet. So, we, I put that J.C. Clay out because I felt right. I thought that I think it's two-year-old bird. I think he's fairly subordinate, but I think he's tough enough that he's going to take on this J.C. Clay. And um, <laughs> put that decoy up, set up, and I start getting there like, son of a bitch, that is not a turkey. <laughs> like, how stupid am I? Like, that's not a turkey. <laughs> About as soon as I start to decide that it is, or isn't, he pops his head up. And I'm like, I'm like oh, Keith, we're in business. Like, it's a turkey. And like, you know, then you know, it's like, it's a Tom. It's got to be Tom. Like, why would, you know, <laughs> I Sure enough, he pops his head up, kind of like, you know, it's been raining all night. You know, this is pretty, like, late. You know, you'd think the turkeys would be gobbling generally most morning. He's just kind of, like, perks his head up, and he kind of just, like, you know, <laughs> he just kind of shakes himself off, and he kind of stretches out, kind of halfway, stretches up a little bit, just starting to feel things out a little bit, and he turns his head over, he looks over, and he sees that Jake, and he immediately just, like, shifts his whole body, and just, like, leans out on the limb and looks at it. It's like, oh yeah, like as long as he doesn't see us, we're good. <laughs> sure enough, he flies right right to the decoy shot him at like I think it was like eleven steps. <laughs> so like, you know, that's that's a situation where you know we're just like going in in the complete darkness, but like still being observant as far as like trying to you know see a bird in the tree. Like, and we didn't know exactly where they were, but if I wouldn't have been looking up like that. You know, right. I, you know, you know, I actually heard right before that happened, I'd actually heard 
I don't remember who I was talking to or, or, or what, how this had played out, but I've, I heard somebody say, I wish I did remember so I could credit it, but um, somebody said, look into the trees. Like one of the biggest things that they, one of the biggest things that they saw young hunters not doing was looking into trees and, and looking for the turkeys up in the tree. And like, I'll be damned if that's not exactly what happened. Like I just like, <laughs> that's like where, that's where they roost, you know? And, yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, but, I just always overlooked the fact that you could potentially see one and be quiet enough that you could be right underneath of them. But, like, you're just taking your time and you're, you're going easy. Like, you can sneak up. You can sneak up on anything if you're going slow enough. I've roosted a lot of porcupines. <laughs> <laughs> sat, <laughs> sat there after daylight going, yeah, that's a porky. All right. <laughs> that's not a turkey. That's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, don't, we don't have to deal with that down south. What's funny is you, you tell that story, and I was I was thinking about that when you were talking about the one that flew down off the, you know, that you were saying how the perfect story would go because my daughter and I watched that video, and I'll link it um, in the show notes and put it on the website because that was a pretty interesting day, and it kind of goes back to, like, some of the questions that we had because it was, like, you know, locating uh, cold-weather birds or in the rain and, like, that was a pretty incredible hunt i mean you're Mm -hmm. exactly right i mean watching it that turkey flies down you didn't call one time and you dropped him right there as soon as he flew down almost (laughs) and that was in the rain and then you killed another one the same day you know just and and that was kind of you do a very good job in that video and i was kind of telling these guys when you're you know getting ready for the podcast was and explaining how you set up that second one on the, on the saddle, um, mm-hmm. there, um, when you're, when you're looking at terrain features like that, it, it sounds like for the most part, the, the high points are kind of like the things that you're looking for as far as calling avenues. And then the turkeys are going to be, be it a Tom or a hen, they're going to be somewhat on maybe a second level around that highest point and the turkeys will be calling from a higher higher point when they're when they're being vocal um can you kind of go into like a little bit like i said i'll put that on the that that video on there but you know for the guys that aren't gonna maybe take that next step and, and kind of follow up like that whole that whole process there is uh is is pretty interesting and it i mean it seems to be effective yeah, I, um, I, I guess, I guess I, a lot of it has been based off of, you know, a lot of those, a lot of the turkeys that I've shot, especially in that hilly terrain, has been based off of that. Like, you're looking at specific terrain features, and like the things that we're always, you'll hear, like me and my buddies always talk about is like, like, and, and, and maybe it's, you know, I know that. Here, let me let me like put a quick, a quick like, you know, uh, um, a quick warning in here too. Like, if you're from like, if you're from like any like the driftless area, like in um, Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, or Illinois, like if you're in that area and you're in pretty hilly terrain, like you don't have these like, it's not exactly the same of like it's not exactly the same thing because like 
there's not a lot of high points. Like, kind of, a, I'm kind of a geography nerd, so like I really notice things like this. Like, when you're hunting in that driftless area, it's a really good example. It's like it's all flat top, so like it's it's like uh, more. It's like it's like extreme rolling hills is my best way to explain it. It's like they're big hills, but it's still like flat on top. There's no high point where like when I hunted in Southern Ohio, there's high points. Like there's like there's the peak of a ridge up there. Like and that's high point. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of it kind of varies. You're not just talking about like. Like, but when you're talking about that driftless area or even Southern Iowa, like what is the top elevation? Nothing is higher than like, you know, it's all the same. The highest elevation is the same, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So with that being said, some of this may not, you know, it, it, I, I guess I can bounce kind of back to that. But when I'm hunting where there's high points and you're talking about areas where there's like these defined benches or like, you know, kind of flat side hills, whatever it may be. Looking for the high points, like you said, to start looking for, like, that being a potential place for turkeys to go, you know, be vocal. Um, whether that be a tom or a hen. You know, if I, if I, if there's not a tom up there gobbling, like, I'm going to go try to be the hen that's up there. Um, the reason I like saddles so much is because you've got two high points and then, generally that saddle kind of plays into that bench that's below the high point that makes sense so like just imagine like imagine you know just a saddle like a like you know i got its name like a horse saddle like on two sides there's a high point and in that low spot in that very lowest spot that kind of connects to the bench that's below that high point so therefore you've got this major intersection it's like where you set up, where you should set up for like a cruising bus. Now, if you take that one step bigger, you've got a main ridge with a saddle on it. Off on either side of that main ridge, you've got what I would consider like your main valleys, your main creek bottom valleys. Any time cruising from one, you know, creek bottom where he's going to think he's going to find hens that are nesting down those creek bottoms. Because again, those creek bottoms are going to green up first. They've got a lot of, you know, nutrition that those turkeys need. If he's cruising from one bottom to the other bottom, he's going to go across that high point or he's going to go across that saddle because he's not going to want to just go up and over the, you know, up and over the high point. Now, here's the other good thing about that. He's, if he wants to get on that high point to gobble, because he can get up on that high point on the main ridge and gobble to either side on either main valleys and the benches below, or, you know, so from high point down to the bench, down to the creek bottom below, he's got all that covered if he's up on the high point. So being in a saddle, you're not only in a natural, like, cruising area or just a natural area of, like, animals in general making a big move across the main ridge. We're also close to those high points that the turkeys want to be at when they want to gobble. So, I mean, as far as, like, a saddle goes, that's what I'm looking for. And then the next thing that I really, really like as far as, like, picking spots where turkeys could potentially be roosted, it's kind of the same thing with, with buck beds. I love long secondary ridges. So, again, imagine you've got your main ridge running north and south. Off to the east, you've got a big secondary ridge that kind of plays out 
further toward to the east than all the other secondary ridges on that side of the main ridge. Out on the very point of that secondary ridge, a tom can go out there and roost. And from that roost location, he can gobble. And a ton of stuff can hear that because he's way, sticking way out there, way out there over the main creek bottom. He's got so much ground he can cover. And that's, that's a big terrain thing, you know, like, that's talking like you're in big terrain, you're in big hills. But, you know, when, when that's the case, a lot of times that's where you can find that turkey, that's where that pond's going to be. good example of that is, okay, so we were hunting that driftless area, that area that I was talking about. It's all flat top. So when it's all flat top and you don't necessarily have a saddle to look at, you know, a lot of times I'm just looking at, like, general, like, flat hillsides that have a secondary ridge that kind of plays off to those. So you kind of look at, like, a bolt. If you're, like, you, you can imagine, like, a bowl in hilly terrain that, you know, has a main ridge and a secondary off of it, and the bowl is kind of created by the, the big secondaries. A lot of times those turkeys are going to be out on the caps of those secondaries and then end up working in that bowl. I don't necessarily, you know, you know, I don't think a lot of times turkeys spend a ton of time right on main ridges, but like about the only time they do is to like locate each other. If that makes sense. So like, you know, Tom can kind of stay down in that little, you know, with him and his posse of hens, he can kind of hang out down in that, that bowl and be away from everything. As soon as he loses those hens though, he's either going to go back out on one of those secondary points where he's way up above the creek bottom or he's going to get up on the highest point on the main ridge and gobble. That's what he's going to do when he's looking for, for him. That's what the hen's going to do when he's looking, when she's looking for a Tom. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so hopefully that makes sense. I, oh, I know like explaining terrain over the phone is kind of hard to do, but hopefully that makes some sense. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think that that's the whole, you know, the whole idea behind this is like just trying to figure out the way that, you know, you guys look and, you know, you personally break down this, this kind of terrain because, you know, you've hunted, you know, probably turkeys in a lot of different spots than a lot of different, you know, than probably most people in general. Um, I guess what, um, how many different states have you hunted for turkeys in and are they all, you know, obviously Ohio, you know, Michigan, Iowa, you're looking at Easterns. Are you, are you hunting other species of Turkey? You know, so Rios or, uh, Osceola. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've hunted, um, we've hunted Rio, we hunted Rios last year in Oklahoma and then we hunted Merriam and we've hunted, we hunted, we hunted Rios in Oklahoma and then we hunted, uh, Merriam. I know it. Well, the other guys, when I was in all, Ohio, they were in Nebraska hunting Marion's. And then I hunted Marion's in Wyoming a couple of years ago with Aaron. But Aaron has shot, Aaron has shot all of the species and turkeys, um, I guess aside from the oscillated, which I don't know much about them anyway, but Aaron shot all the species, um, including Osceola and Gould's turkeys as well. So that's like one of the slams, right? So, I mean, yeah, he's got the just like the most the general slam, I think, or like, or maybe even like, yeah, there's the there's so he's, there's he's one more. I think it's the 
Royal Slam is a Grand yeah, I Slam. Yeah, the World Slam would be translated turkey. Yep, World Which is is, is the is Royal. Like the yep, yep, crazy right. looking. Yeah. And so, but, when when you hunted Miriams, were you successful in Wyoming? Was it a different type of yeah. hunt? Yeah. So, so yeah, that was very very low hunting pressure. Um, I mean, got them real quick. Aaron and I shot two turkeys before nine thirty. That that day, the only day did, that I hunted in Wyoming. In in everything that I've watched and in, in, in guys I've talked to, those birds are are really vocal. You know, they say that. They're, yeah, they're really vocal. They're just they're just generally like less pressured. Like, yeah. At least in my experience, as you go west, like just pe- like period, like the birds are just less pressured. They're just like a little bit sillier. Like they're a little bit easier to just like convince. Like, hey, you probably come over here for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Zach, we've kept you here for, for, for quite some time, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. i got just a couple more questions for you. Um, you know, based yeah, upon sure. our, uh, uh, our our listeners and, and, and followers and whatnot, they want to know, as far as your, your turkey recipes, you know, what's your best way to prepare a turkey? Are you guys just breasting them out? Are you using the whole bird? And of course, it's probably not just our listeners, but probably a lot of the people that follow the hunting public want to know: is the hair more for camouflage, or is it just for the chicks? <laughs> well, well here, <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah, I like I like these answers. So we do we do a little bit of we do a little bit of everything as far as prepping turkeys, and you know, like a lot of times when we're when we're on the on the road, we do mostly just like breast them. Um, but also have done like smoking them, have done, you know, all kinds of different stuff. But here's simply like, if I'm not a real fancy guy. There's two ways I like to cook turkeys. Like on the grill, just like straight up barbecue, like just like be lathering on some barbecue as you're cooking them. Slow cook. I like slow cooking stuff. Slow, you know, take your time on the grill. Don't get too aggressive. Just make sure those things are nice and juicy. Got a lot of barbecue on them, man. I love that, especially after, like, if you shoot one, like, on an out-of-state trip or something, that's that's really awesome. And then, um, also, just, like, <laughs> when I was in Ohio, like, we fried a ton of stuff. Like, I love frying jerky. Um, just super good. Um, you can't deny, you can't deny, like, a good fried turkey. And then, as far as my hair goes, <laughs> you know <laughs> Quick story, real quick story. Hair, how I got it, how it came about. So I have had like a little bit generally longer hair, but my when we were in college, we were we were me and my friends were all part of the fishing club at Ohio University, and um, we were standing there one night, you know, having a having a little social gathering, if you will, and we were all standing there, and it's like, man, I said something like. I always wanted to just like grow my hair out, like really grow it out, you know. Like a couple other buddies are standing there, like four or five of us. I'm like, yeah, me too, me too, me too. Like, let's do it. So like, that night we shook on it, and like, you know, I don't even know what the, the bet was or if there even was a bet, but like, all right, like let's see who can last the longest. And like, the whole summer went by. And, like we all came back, and we all came back, and we had like you know quite a bit longer hair, and then we got a haircut all summer. And, like, eventually people start kind of dropping off. And 
next thing you know, me and my me and my brother are the only ones standing, and you know, we had this long hair. <laughs> and it's funny because <laughs> I I I actually ended up like really liking it. I think it looks good, but then it pans out. Turns out, you know, it does work pretty well as a camouflage. Works <laughs> great with yeah. a ghillie suit. <laughs> <laughs> Not, it, is it natural? Will, is it naturally say, curly like that, though? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's super curly. Yeah. It's, a, it's just I don't have to do anything with it. I mean, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to wash it. I don't have to do anything. It all looks, looks the same every day. <laughs> you're not going to be the next guy in the Pantene commercial. You're saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, and then I guess. I guess one other question as far as the girls go, like my girlfriend really likes it. So there you go. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, Zach, yeah. you know, this has been super fun. And, uh, we love talking to you. We, I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, you guys got a lot of stuff going on with your scouting workshops and, um, you know, your deer tour, your turkey tour. And there's a lot of guys. And, you know, obviously we're from Michigan. But we want to see you guys come up here. Because, you know, even, you know, Michigan, Pennsylvania, you know, the deer, the, the, the states that have that much pressure um, to see <clears> you guys come up here and, and show us what, what you guys can do. And especially in the upper Michigan uh, with the, with the big woods and stuff, um, it, there's a lot of guys that just want to see, you know, the, to see what you guys are made of in in the big woods of Michigan, you know, we, mm-hmm. you guys are great hunters, and it's awesome. But it's like, come on, come up here, come on, let's see, let's see a mm-hmm. challenge, let's see, let's see you guys do it, you know, where we're trying, you know, <laughs> make us feel better about ourselves, I guess. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? well, one of the things that one of the things that um, we have planned, I mean. For sure, like for Turkey, for Turkey at least, is we're for sure, like it's it's looking like it's pretty much 100% sure that we're going to be in Pennsylvania. So that's one state that um, a lot of people, you know, hunt in. There's a lot of like high hunter density, and like I'm going to do my best to figure out a way to be in Michigan in the next two years. Because, like, you know, to be completely honest, I might have told you guys this last time when I saw you last, but man, like the amount of people that just like I feel like are just straight complaining about Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) I got to see something about it. Like I want to try it. Geez, it's like it's like guys, it can't be that bad. I mean, and 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 I and I understand that it is. It is definitely different. And I and I understand that. I think I. I, and I told, I guess with that being said, at the same time, I do understand because, you know, I grew up further east than where I live now. The one thing that I know is a for sure thing is that there's a lot of people out there that don't actually realize what that means. Like, a lot of people have never been to Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, you know, and seen like straight up like a ton of houses. Like, like where I live in Iowa now, like there's not that many houses. There's not that many people. Like there's big roadblocks. And the roadblocks are made up by gravel roads with like very few houses on them. You know, that stuff makes a huge difference. And I, I do want, if there's one thing I do want people to know is that I understand 
that it is not the same everywhere. I don't want people to think that I, you know, it, you know, but I think, hey, you know, it's it's exactly the same everywhere you go because it's not, and that is exactly like why we want to we want to travel and you know continue to hit as many places as possible. So I can guarantee it will be in Michigan. No worries. Like unless <laughs> unless something really bad happens and we all we all die, like <laughs> we'll be there. Well. I promise you that. You guys, you guys, uh, you know, if you're just passing through or something, you know, and you want to, you want to stop and have a good time, man, just, just stop and see us. And, uh, you know, we can, we can get you a hunting spot or a fishing spot or whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, I know, I know, I know from seeing you guys at the bar last there a couple of weeks ago that <laughs> I know you guys like to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Zach, thanks a lot. You know, thank you know you and and all the guys for everything that you do. And if uh, you know our listeners for whatever reason aren't following along with you guys, um, definitely follow along with them on on YouTube. They're approaching a hundred thousand followers right now, and they've got a big giveaway coming up once they reach a hundred thousand uh, subscribers on YouTube. So get over there, subscribe, and and you can see uh, you know kind of what this whole thing is about. But these guys are probably the most welcoming and as far as like educational as far as you know turkey hunting yeah but their their deer hunting is is on point um and it's just amazing so thank you zach for for the time and, and for everything that you guys do yeah well thanks for having me on guys i enjoyed it all right well can't wait to talk to you again here soon and that's pretty much all we got for tonight all right see ya all right buddy see ya with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep-sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.